The views, information, and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the speakers and do not represent Holding Short Media nor any organization that the speakers have been, currently are, or will be affiliated with. Welcome to the Holding Short Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Matheson. Today we are joined by Emily Wood. Emily is an AQP training specialist at Air Canada. In this role, she works with the team to ensure all pilots, when passing through their airline training programs, obtain training that is responsible to continuous industry change so that they can achieve both the highest levels of individual and group performance. Emily has her Master's of Aviation Management from Griffith University, where she wrote her final thesis on human factors and flight deck automation. This research worked to determine if the advanced technology of flight deck automation continues to be an effective, beneficial safety tool when increased sophistication of the relationship between the human operator and the technology has, on multiple occasions, proven responsible for aircraft incidents and accidents. Outside of work, Emily volunteers as Elevate Aviation's mentorship lead for their Ontario wing and is passionate about giving those who want a career in aviation the resources and support they need to find success. Emily, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to speaking with you today. So we'll jump right on in. How did you get your start in aviation? I've always had a passion for aviation. And for me, it wasn't until I actually gave up pursuing aviation to study business after high school that I decided I needed to pursue my interests and my passion for aviation, um, that I actually jumped in. Um, I switched from business to aviation management, and that is how I entered into the industry. Um, Unlike a lot of people, I didn't know anyone in aviation. I didn't know any careers other than like a pilot and a flight attendant. Um, I was never involved in air cadets or any of the fun things you can get involved in when you're younger. Um, So yeah, it wasn't until I gave up on my interest that I actually ended up in the industry. I think that's so interesting that for you, it was sort of a decision of, no, I really want to go back and that that's really the passion I have. It's uh, sometimes aviation can be a second or third career for a lot of people and your interest change as you get older. So I think that that's uh, really speaks to your determination where you realize that you wanted to come back to aviation or rather that you wanted to pursue that full time and that that was really where your interest lay. As part of your thesis, you looked into flight deck automation and the way that changing technologies can be both a resource and also a risk factor to the crew member that is operating them. What were some of the findings of your thesis? Um, The main, I guess, conclusion of my thesis was that there needed to be an emphasis on the collaborative design of aircraft automation. Um, So... The way that I conducted my research is that I spoke to pilots in all different, I guess, stages of their career. So some of them were um, still out of flight school, um, working, I guess, not working, flying on like Cessnas. Some of them were pilots at Jazz, and then some of them were also Air Canada pilots. So people with different, I guess, levels of training and different understanding of automated systems. 
Um, and so I found from talking to all of them that automated systems must adhere to crew resource management principles, particularly the fundamental rule of communication. So as a human operator must always communicate their intentions and limitations um, of their understanding to their human counterpart, the automated system must do the same. Mm -hmm. um, so I found that the human operator must, I guess, increase their cognitive understanding of how automated systems on board their aircraft operate, which would then, I guess, allow them to have an educated response when an abnormal situation arises. Um, but at the same time, the technology, when something is not working as designed, must be able to, I don't want to say, I guess inform the human operator that something is operating incorrectly um, so that they are then able to use their understanding of the system um, to fix the abnormal situation. So there does need to be a communication between the technology and also, the, well, I guess between the technology and the operator, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It does. And I guess the idea as well of as a crew member wanting to make sure that you know that system inside and out beyond just sort of the use, the uh, interface that you would be using, how to actually troubleshoot would be another big part of your training. Correct. And I think like the best I guess I would say the best, the best safety device in an aircraft would be your well-trained, well-qualified pilot. So I think them having a really strong understanding of the systems um, will then in turn allow for the technology to continue to advance, but then them also be able to utilize that technology to their, to the best it can. What is AQP? Everyone asked me this question because for the most part, nobody knows what AQP is. Um, and to be honest, I had no idea what it was either. Um, even when I applied for the job, I wasn't 100% sure. Um, so AQP stands for Advanced Qualification Program. And I'm just going to begin with a little definition, um, which I took from the Transport Canada website, just so everyone is kind of on the same page with the definition. And then I'm going to break it up into my own words. Um, so AQP is a systematically developed, continuously maintained, and empirically validated proficiency-based training system. So this is a lot of big words, um, but it's just a way of training that incorporates a number of evaluation features and different training methods, all that are aimed, um, I guess, to improve performance. So unlike traditional ways of training, AQP allows for an AR operator to develop, implement, and then evaluate their own training program. So it is responsive to continuing changes in the industry, including new technologies, any changes in operating env environments, and also advancements in best practices. Um, it is important to note that it is a voluntary program. So an air operator does not have to train to AQP standards. Um, but it does allow for an air operator, if they choose to train to AQP standards, um, to work with a regulatory body um, to create a training program that is flexible and has the option to be tailored to the company's own performance data. Now, in researching to speak with you today, I've learned that AQP has only been a practice in aviation since 1990. How do you think that it has impacted the industry? 
I think the purpose of AQP is to increase safety while encouraging innovation and regulatory flexibility. Um, I think AQP allows for an air operator to tailor their training program to their own specific needs and their own areas that need improvement. Um, instead of a traditional like one-size-fits-all approach to training, I think AQP allows for the continued development of crew performance. Um, and I believe that using a database system allows for air operators um, to see where they are proficient and where they need continued improvement. Um, this, I think, then impacts the industry um, as it's been able to create higher performance standards. And I think training programs around the world have been drastically improved and pilots are now completing their training programs with more skills and hopefully more confidence than they did in the past. I'm jumping back to the idea of your thesis a little bit, but the uh, ongoing development of flight deck automation is something that has changed rapidly. I mean, just even technology in our own lives, let alone in a flight deck setting. Um, so I can see how having an individualized training program that reflects on what that operator needs because not everyone needs the full end automation training and all different variants of that idea. So I think that as technology continues to grow, my understanding is that AQP will develop and match up with the advances in technology. How does the concept of flight operations quality assurance play into your role? So AQP requires for air operators to validate their training program through the collection of data and continued like program analysis. So our team has a quality assurance manager who, along with my manager, um, is directly responsible to ensure the quality control of all of our curriculums. Um, for me personally, I work with our scripters to ensure that all of our grade sheets, all of the scripts, um, matches up with the curriculums that we say we are going to be running and what we are going to be training. Um, and then I also make sure that any discrepancies or updates to our training program are passed along to Transport Canada for their approval. So they are always aware of exactly what is in our training materials. And if they come back to audit anything that if we say we're going to train something, that it is being trained. Now, when you say scripters, do you mean the individuals that work to put together these sort of flight simulator evaluations? Um, yes. So we have a team. It's like a third-party company, but it is made up of Air Canada pilots for the most part. Um, and they work with our team to develop the scripts that we are going to be running. So I work alongside them. Now, as someone that is not a pilot... How do you think that impacts the way you approach the scripters and that part of your role? Um, I think because I have a basic understanding of flight, like by no means um, can I fly a plane, but I do have a very basic understanding of how systems work and how our aircraft fly. Um, so... I think that helps me a lot. And when they're asking questions and we're having discussions, I do know what we're talking about. Um, but for me, I know I rely on them a lot because I have no idea if an approach is like an RMP versus an RMPAR APCH. To me, that's just like a whole jumble of letters. And I need to go to them a lot more 
than I would if I was a pilot because I would assume I would know what that is. But me, every single time, that's the question I ask them. And they're like, Emily, we've explained this to you a hundred times. I'm like, yep. And I will be coming back to you a hundred more because I can, I don't know what that is. It's just a jumble. So, um, I don't think you have to be a pilot to be in the role. Um, but you definitely rely on your scripters a lot more when you are not a pilot. How did you find out about your job? Um, I found out about this position through someone that I met while doing an internship at Air Canada. Um, this was a brand new position to the company. And um, my one friend, had she knew that I was writing my thesis on training within the aviation industry and within the flight deck. Um, so she thought this would be a great fit for me. Um, so she sent me the posting and then actually went and spoke to my current boss today. Um, and I think without her, I'm not sure if this was a position that I would have been fortunate enough to get, but um, she definitely helped me out, out a lot. Uh, I then obviously went and interviewed and was successful. So I heard all about the position through um, networking and through this individual. And I think that's really a testament to the power of networking, which is something that we see so, so much in aviation uh, as well as in other industries. But the idea of who you know is such a big role and I can sort of project that for the next few years, especially with changes and challenges in the aviation industry, networking and who you know play a really big part in the hiring process for a lot of people. I agree. And that's why I think like no matter how small or insignificant you think your role at the current time might be, um, definitely networking and talking to other people will help you grow and help you learn um, a lot. And then hopefully you can use those connections to find a position that is more of interest to you or will help you get along or follow, I guess, help you follow your career path. So I do agree. Could you tell us a bit more about the day to day of your role? What part of AQP do you focus on? Because I know it's a bit of an umbrella for a lot of other parts of training. Um, or is your job more generalized? It's a little bit of everything. Um, so normally I start each week with a plan of what I want to accomplish and what needs to be done. And then by like Monday afternoon, I have like thrown that plan out the window and I have to like rework everything. Um, so it takes around 10 months for us to develop new continuing qualification scripts. So I spend a lot of time focused on ensuring that these deliverables are processed and ready to be sent to Transport Canada on time. And each fleet has their own specific training program. So it's a lot of project, um, I guess, management mm -hmm. in regards to that. Um, and then throughout script development, um, I always make sure that each stage of development is met. Um, uh, when I'm not monitoring those timelines, I spend time um, creating grade sheets that match the scripts that we have been sent um, by the scripters. Um, and when they have any changes or there's updates to things or we want to move somewhere, something from one airport to the next, I have to make sure that our grade sheets match up so everything is correct. Um, and changes happen a lot more than you would think. There's always things changing. So um, it's a lot of changes that I have to process and often really quickly. And with so many different aircraft types in our fleet, it's sometimes very overwhelming to manage. So. Um, it's a lot more like grade sheet work and script work. Um, I also have to update a matrix. So everything we train on is listed in a matrix. Um, 
And then this shows to Transport Canada what we are training. So if we do make any edits, we have to like either add or remove that item from our matrix and then send that off to Transport Canada for their approval, um, just so they um, are aware of what we are training and that we are meeting all of the standards and regulations that we say we are. Um, so it is a little bit of everything. It's all over the place um, most days. Um, but it's more grade sheets, script, and matrix-related things that I'm doing, not the data part of the work. So with regards to the way that the scripts are developed, because that is something that you monitor during your job, do you find that there's a strategy to the way that scripts are developed in terms of items that you might see, or is it a bit more uh, by the book based on what you need to see from a legal perspective of you need to be recurrent on these items, or is there a bit of a larger strategy at play? I think there's a little bit of both. Um, so at the beginning of development, we have what we call a kickoff meeting. And this is where we sit down with our statistician and we sit down with uh, flight safety and our FDA team. And they present all of their data and all of their findings. Um, so if we see things are being done really well, um, we might see if we could either remove that from our training program or look to gather more data and then approach Transport Canada and say, this has been done really well. Is this something that we have to continue to train on? Um, or if we like look at data and it something is just done terribly continuously, we will make sure that we put that in our training program um, and that that is look to see if there is continuous improvement when we get our pilots through those programs. Um, but also on the matrix, we have items that we have identified have to be run um, during certain like training sessions. So those items, when I receive the scripts, I have to look to make sure that we have, like for example, a hydraulics fault on this certain session, or we have an engine fail on this certain session. Um, so it is a little bit of both of what we want to see, but also what we have to train for. And of course, these are not scripts by any means, and the intention is never there for someone not to be successful. The, the airline wants the candidate, uh, the pilot candidate, to be successful, and they want you to be uh, your best. So I think strategy-wise, it's more about trying to find the way for pilots to best be trained and proficient. It's not really about uh, trying to mess someone up. It's, it's, it, they're trying to help you. Yeah, exactly. We're not here to like set you up to fail. We're here to give you the resources that you have or that you need to succeed. What training does someone need for your role? I think honestly, anyone can be successful in this role if you are willing to learn. Like we discussed before, I am no pilot. So I personally don't think you need to be a pilot to be in this role. I think it would definitely give you an advantage, um, but you definitely do not need to be a pilot. I think just having a really strong attention to detail because there are a lot of changes and you always have to make sure they are processed correctly and um, being very organized are very beneficial to someone's success in this role. Um, but I honestly think if someone is really interested in this field or in AQP, like you can take skills from anywhere and apply it. You definitely do not need to be a pilot. What is your most rewarding part about your job? For me, I got into aviation because I see aviation as one of the only industries that can take people anywhere, um, helping them connect with loved ones and helping them achieve 
their dreams or their business goals and whatnot. So every time that I hear of an aviation accident where people do not make it home to their loved ones, um, it like breaks my heart. So knowing that I am playing such a small role um, in helping Air Canada train their pilots to the highest possible standard so that our crew and our passengers can get home to their families is probably the most rewarding part of my job. I mean, you say that you play a small role, but when you think about it, I mean, safety is a priority of all airlines. And the fact that you're not just thinking about putting someone through a training program, that you think about it big picture and how this will impact the airline and the passengers that you fly, um, I think that says a lot about you being very mindful that it may be a smaller role in your words, but you have a big impact. And I think that that's very telling of your nature, that that's how you see your role. What advice would you give for someone looking to work in AQP? I think AQP is actually a very unique department to work in um, because we have so many opportunities. So we have, like I said earlier, a statistician. So if you love data, this might be like an ideal, um, I guess, department to work in because um, we have numbers and I don't even know. I'm not a statistician. I do not like math, but there's a lot of numbers you can work with. Um, if you like software and you're on the techie side, something else that I am terrible at technology. Um, but if technology is your thing, we have a software manager um, to make sure that all of like the online training modules are like running. We have people that design PowerPoints. Um, we have people that are in work with quality assurance, instructing. So there's jobs for everyone and anything in AQP. Um, and I think that's very unique. Not all departments have that. So I feel like if you are really interested in AQP, you could definitely find a job within that department because it is a very wide, I guess, range of skills that we need um, to make the program successful. To me, it sounds like as long as you have an interest in aviation and a desire to learn more uh, or bring the skills that you have to aviation. This sounds like a job that a lot of people could be interested in or could find themselves doing. Yeah. I think if you have an interest in aviation, this is a really good place to start. Now a bit more big picture. What advice would you give for someone looking to work in aviation? Um, I honestly say go for it. Um, I came from an aquatics background, so I came from working at a pool to then making the career jump into aviation. Um, and I learned a lot of amazing things in aquatics and a lot of, I had, I think a lot of transferable skills were learned there that I brought into aviation. Um, and I think if you're a leader, um, in one industry, you can easily become a leader in another industry. Um, so I think if you're interested in aviation, just go for it. What is your ultimate career goal? To be honest, this changes daily, if not like five times a day for me. I, um, I get there's that. So many, <laughs> there's just so much that I want to do and like so much I want to learn about the industry. So mm -hmm. um, honestly, it changes all the time. But aviation safety um, and working with youth and um I guess the community in which I live is always very important to me and I think will remain important going forward. Um, so I don't really know what my ultimate career goal is, um, but as long as I'm like passing along my passion for aviation safety 
um, and trying to improve the industry, but also the lives of those around me, um, I think I'll be really satisfied with whatever career choice I make. Speaking of community work, what are some things you do in aviation outside of your job? Um, In aviation, currently I am the mentorship lead for Elevate Aviation's Ontario Wing. Um, So this takes up quite a bit of my time right now, but I absolutely love it. I've met some of the most incredible people through this program, including yourself. Um, So I absolutely love that um, association that I'm with. Um, And I also volunteer at Camp Ooch. And it's not aviation related, but all of the activities that I run with children, I make them aviation related to hopefully um, pass along my love of aviation to these children. So Mm -hmm. that is not specifically aviation related, but I always make sure it is. And you recently had a virtual night with Camp Ooch where you did an aviation presentation with them. We did. We did a collaboration with Elevate and Camp Ooch and... This was probably one of like the highlights of my life. I can honestly say, even though I was not actively involved in the night, um, or the organization, the ladies from Elevate like blew me away with their amazing activities. And the program actually ran longer than it was supposed to because the kids had so many questions and they were so engaged and so involved. And they, some of the facts and the things they were sharing, I was just so amazed by for example did you know that they paint planes white instead of black because then the aircraft is lighter and you can put a solid seven more passengers on an aircraft if it's painted white i don't know if this is true or not but this is what a six-year-old said and he said it so confidently that i believe it so well confidence is key and i you know i i will take that six-year-old at his word i will do some follow-up research to be super sure but I mean, just the the confidence. And I I know you had such a wonderful time doing that uh, presentation with Camp Ooch. And the fact that it made a difference to the kids and it made a difference to you is very, very nice. So with regards to your role as the mentorship lead for Elevate Aviation's Ontario Wing, what role do you feel mentorship has had in your career so far? I never had a mentor or anyone in the industry that I could turn to. Um, and for me, I had a really rough go at the beginning. Um, I remember like this one time where someone actually ripped up my resume in front of my face and threw it at me and told me I was never going to be a professional. And I just remember like walking out of that meeting, um, being like shocked. And I was like, wow, okay. Like maybe this is true. And that, I don't know, it gave me so much self-doubt after that one incident and I had no one to bounce it off of or no one to talk to about it. Um, And I really thought I had to go it alone. And so I think not having a mentor in the early stages of my career, um, I think now made me a stronger person, but it's something that I really feel everyone needs to have a mentor and mentorship is really important in developing I want to say young minds, but honestly, everyone, um, because it's really good to have someone in your corner. And I know for me, not having someone in my corner, um, especially that who had worked in the industry, I think really increased the amount of self-doubt I had at the beginning. So that's why I'm really, I guess, dedicated to my role. And I do want to make sure that 
everyone has someone in their corner when they're looking to get into aviation. Now, please share with me a favorite memory or career highlight for you so far. I have gone back and forth so many times into what story I want to share with you. Um, so I think I'm going to share one, um, which happened when I worked in crew scheduling uh, with Jazz. And I think unless you work in operations, you have no idea like how crazy an IROPS day can be. Um, and I was relatively new and I was working in night shift one night. And this is not, it wasn't a favorite memory when it happened. It was more like a traumatic <laughs> situation. But now I look back and I'm like, okay, I think that like kind of shaped how I operate today. Um, but it was like the craziest IROPS. I don't remember what was happening. It was just like chaos everywhere. And it was so bad. There was calls in the queue for like seven hours and you would answer the phone. And someone would be like, do you know how long I've been waiting on holds? And I was like, yeah, seven hours and like 13 minutes. Terribly sorry, which I could not even imagine because like I can't even wait on hold for two minutes and I am livid that no one has picked up the phone. Um, but it was so bad. And the amount of like not notified and crew just like sitting around having no idea where they were going or what they were flying was, it was like terrible. It was really bad. And I remember it was like two or three in the morning and we're trying to sort out like today, but I, I don't even know what was happening yesterday. And like, I'm still trying to deal with yesterday, but now like today is happening and there is actually pilots sleeping behind me because I couldn't get them a hotel because the hotels were sold out in Halifax. And I was like, I'm so sorry. Like you just have a great nap, get some crew rest behind me. Like it was a really bad night. And, um, I remember doing my handoff in the morning and I was like, I don't know. There's about a hundred not notifieds. I don't know how many pairings there are in open. Don't actually know what's happening. I just need to leave. Like, good luck. And that is not how my handoffs would normally go. I would have them like color coded. I would try to get rid of as many not notifieds. But like this morning, I just like tossed my stuff to this person. And I was like, I'm out. Like, good luck. I don't know how you're going to get through the day. And then I went home. I like did not sleep at all because I kept hearing the phone ringing and I kept hearing like cruise get Emily like ringing through my head all day. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Starbucks get like the most expensive drink I can possibly make. Um, and then I'm going to go back to work for my next night shift. And I was like ready for the chaos. I was like mentally prepped and I sat down there was nothing in open time, no, not notifieds, And they had taken care of all of the issues and I was like, wow, I guess I bought this like $13 Starbucks drink for no reason. <laughs> but that was the moment I realized that like aviation is such a team like mm -hmm. environment and everyone is just trying to make sure that everyone gets to where they need to go safely and on time. And you can have the absolute like worst day, but you know, you have a team that has your back and that when you come back the next day, they have tried their very best to sort out all of their problems. So when that happened, I guess it was a terrible experience for me to live through. Um, but now um, I just make sure that when things are going crazy, I know that there's people counting on me, but I also have people that um, have my back too, if I ever need their assistance. Um, and then I also had another story that 
I guess when I'm like really down or I'm having a terrible day at the airport, I always think back to it and it makes me laugh. Um, I was brand new um, living out in Halifax and I had to come back to London to go to a wedding. And I don't remember the flight there at all. I think it was very uneventful. Um, but coming back, I had booked London, Ontario to Toronto and then Toronto back to Halifax. The first flight was delayed. Um, and I remember the customer service agent like paging me and telling me it's delayed, but to just like keep sitting tight and we'll get there eventually. And I was like, this is very odd, like really nice personalized customer service. I don't know why you're telling me specifically, but I appreciate it. It's so thoughtful. That's what I thought. So then I was just sitting there. And then when we finally like started the boarding process, like I got to board first and I was like, I don't know what VIP status I have tonight, but I'm really enjoying this. Um, so the flight attendant offered me like anything I wanted to drink for this, like what, 10 minute flight. Like it's so short, maybe 20 minutes. Um, and asked if I wanted to snack. Drink? Yeah. Like the shortest flight one could probably take. Um, I was like, no, like I'm totally good. And she's like, okay, perfect. Um, then we boarded and we took off. And then when we were coming into, um, Pearson, the flight attendant was like, okay, so this person's going to meet you and then they're going to go with you to your next flight. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, why do, why is this airline getting such negative customer service reviews? Like, this is fantastic. <laughs> um, so we, the, we landed, um, and then when we were deplaning, I met with this customer service agent and he's like, Emily. And I was like, yep. Yeah. And he's like, okay, are you ready to go run to your next gate? Because you only have 20 minutes to connect. And I was like, yeah, like I have my running shoes on, like I'm ready. And so he's like, okay, let me take my bag or your bag. So he took my bag and I was like, still like in shock that everyone was like treating me like I was the queen or something. These are so, like just pure fabulous customer service experiences. That's what I was like thinking. I was like, this is fantastic. Like I'm going to fly all the time now. Um, so we were running through and then we got to the next flight, which I ultimately ended up missing because they had just closed the doors. But um, the agent that was behind the desk was like, give me the strangest looks. And I, was, I couldn't figure out like why, but I was like, okay, like, that's fine. Maybe like, I'm like, there's mascara running down my face. Cause I've been running so fast for like the past five minutes. Like, I don't know, but that's fine. And he's like, okay, like, you're going to have to go to customer service. So then this agent was like, okay, like I'll go with you. And I was like, wow, I'm really liking this. Like, this is great. Um, so we get to customer service and we get to go like all the way to the front of the line. Like I didn't even wait in the line. And like during IROPS days, like the line to talk to customer service is quite long. So he's like, okay, like I'm just going to go over here and I'll look a few things up for you. And I was like, I don't understand why I'm getting this special treatment. Like I booked an economy ticket. I don't know why this is the customer service I'm getting. So then he like pulls up my thing and the lady that was like beside him, like looks at me and then looks at his screen and goes, how old are you? And I was like, 22. And the guy that was with me was like, you're 22? And I was like, yes, I am. He's like, they have you listed as an unaccompanied minor. And I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, no wonder you were treating me like so well. He's like, I, I honestly, like, I thought you looked really old for like a 10 year old, but they had you listed as this. So that's why I'm here. Like I was here to meet you and I was here to make sure that you got to where you needed to go. 
I was like, that's why everyone was like giving me the weirdest looks for like the past like two hours. And they were like checking in to make sure if I was okay. Um, but now when I'm ever stressed at the airport or I'm like just angry, I just think back to the time that 22 year old Emily was treated as an unaccompanied minor. And it just makes me laugh. And I think it's such a funny story, but also made me realize like the airline has to think about so much, like making sure that like unaccompanied minors have their person with them to take them from like gate to gate and people that need wheelchairs, they have their ramp um, and they have people to help them get on and off the aircraft. So I guess it was a learning experience, but also just so funny that they thought a 22 year old was an unaccompanied minor. It was just so strange. And I just thought, I don't, I don't know what I thought. I don't know why I assumed working in the airline that there was extra people just wandering around willing to help Emily go from gate to gate and make sure she has everything she needs. But that's what I had thought. It's good to know, though, that if you do travel as an unaccompanied minor, that you are treated very well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Unaccompanied minors have all the stops pulled up for them. Yeah, I really enjoyed my time as an unaccompanied minor. Now, before we go today, where can our listeners find you on social media? They can find me on Instagram, and my Instagram is e.m.wood. Perfect, and I'll make sure we have that linked in the description for our listeners. Emily Wood, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I hope that you and all of your listeners learn a little bit about ATP. The Holding Short Podcast is a production of Holding Short Media. The show is written and hosted by me, Laura Matheson, and edited and produced by Cameron Bokoff. Our music is an original composition of Riley Searles. If you would like to learn more about the show, the Holding Short podcast is on Instagram and Facebook at Holding Short Media. Please subscribe, rate, and review us.